remain a mystery. Um, I'd like you all to write down, if you would, if you feel like it, uh, what do you think is the ultimate? She's getting some papers. Yeah. Oh. Well, then don't start writing yet. <laughs> Be thinking about it. I have a new toy. Did you get? Oh, I have an iPad. Very nice. And now, if I can only learn how to use it, it's a gift. Uh, Jagdish in Knoxville said, you know, I don't know why, I might have said something about it when I was through Tennessee at one time. Uh, I mean, I could only think of basically one way to use it, and that's uh, in my service. <laughs> so <clears throat> it doesn't, I haven't got it to do the Balaram font yet, though. So I can't read the same script. So, do you have pencil and paper yet? As soon as you get the pencil and paper, please, and you don't have to write it down right away. You can meditate on it if you want to. What do you think is the ultimate mystery? And I'm not talking about, did Oswald kill JFK all by himself, or did he have help, or... You know, did George Bush really blow up the World Trade Center? <laughs> you know, or that other mystery, do the trees moving back and forth make the wind blow? We haven't been able to figure that one out. <laughs> I kind of think, yeah, it makes sense. They're going like this, and then there's wind. You never see the trees moving back and forth unless there's wind. So I think when they move back and forth, they're making wind. <laughs> Jesse's looking at me like, has he finally flipped? <laughs> so you're expecting dementia any minute, aren't you? <laughs> Just because I'm old doesn't mean I'm there yet. I'm not far away. But <laughs> I wish I had a picture of that look. <laughs> Surely the old coot's not serious. Anybody new here? Anybody here for the first time? Wow. How did you find out about this insanity? This craziness? Campus. 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 U of A. Yeah. Wow. We're all doing that right now. Wow. So that's your excuse. You can tell people years from now. They'll say, how did you get wrapped up in this insanity? <laughs> I just went to school. <laughs> I was trying to mind my own business and get an education. These guys were there. So, uh, yeah, what do you think is the ultimate mystery? So, uh, that's a pretty deep question, but we like to get kind of deep here. And you can stop me with questions at any time, or you can write them down. Some people prefer anonymous questions. Some people prefer just to ask them straight out. So whatever, whatever you like. Uh, 
What are you taking in school? Um, I'm a public health major. Public health major. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you, sir? Um, I'm currently not in school. Just you know. You just go hang out at the university. Well, all, all these are my friends. So <laughs> okay, I'm just, uh, I'm just kicking. <laughs> <laughs> and you? Uh, I'm a psychology major. Wow. <laughs> That guy that was here playing the drums, psychology major, and he's married to a PhD psychology professor who has her own practice. That's why I eventually. Do you have a tendency to analyze people? Yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's, it's one of the sweetest things in life is to analyze. I mean, how can you help people if you don't diagnose? Yeah. You know? I try, it's hard not to. That's impossible. I don't want to come off judgmental. <laughs> like, when I do, like, analyze them, like, in my head. So, like, I have my own, like, process of, like, trying to figure them out. But uh -huh. then I'll have a tendency to ask them lots of questions to make sure that I truly know them. Yeah. When you ask a lot of questions, you're getting personal. Yeah. You know, which is not a bad thing. You know, sometimes people say, that's kind of personal, but you want to get closer, you know, not just physical presence, but, you know, that's admirable. Yeah. That's a very good quality. Thank you. Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm studying public health degree. Yeah? Mm -hmm. What is public health? Um, <laughs> so it's basically, so we think of like when you get sick, you go to a doctor, you go to a hospital or something like that. So public health is everything to get that way, everything to prevent you from having to go to the doctor in the first place. So sometimes that's wow. vaccines, sometimes that's, this is how you wash your hands, this is how you, um, like know when you should be concerned about your health and when you should go to the doctor, those kind of things. So it's really broad. Um, I want to work in vector borne diseases, I think, which is like um, how diseases spread amongst like people mm -hmm. um, through mosquitoes. This is really interesting. I'm glad that there was actually classes for this. Yeah. It, part of the Vedas teach mm -hmm. that you might find that in the Vedas. It's been you know many many thousands of years this process of not spreading disease. Mm -hmm. For instance, the Brahmanas or... Um, huh? The priestly class, they are very clean. That's one of the qualifications to be a Brahman, to be a priestly, uh, is that you're very clean. So they keep their hands washed. You notice, uh, well, there's always, they always have some water, a little cup of water around with a little spoon in it. And they'll grab the spoon and dump some of this purified, sanctified water on their hands. When they touch things, they wash their hands before. And I notice in America, very few people do this, but people don't wash their hands after they eat. You know, a Brahmin, the first thing he wants to do, he knows his hands are contaminated. Even if, even if you can't see it, they're contaminated because you've been eating. So, something from your mouth is on. So before you contaminate 
the world around you, you go rinse your hands and your mouth. You know? So, uh, you know, I notice uh, in public restrooms, you know, a lot of people don't wash their hands after they use. I mean, that's real common. That is very common. You know, so I know you're thinking, well, this guy's really judgmental, but. You know, I, this is my observation. I find it a little stinky, you know. So, you know, the world, in many parts of the world, uh, the Vedic tradition is still alive to some degree, anyway, in India. And I'll give you, for instance, if, uh, if you had uh, a truckload of refugees in India, people who had nothing, and you're rescuing them, and they're all thirsty, and you only have one bottle of water, you can hand that bottle of water to anybody in India, and they will not stick it in their mouth. They pour it in their mouth. They won't contaminate the bottle. When it touch, whatever touches my mouth becomes contaminated. And then the Brahmins feel that once that's contaminated, you know, then someone else can get contaminated from it. So typically in the Western world, you give somebody a bottle of water, you stick it right in his mouth. It's just a habit. But there are better habits, you know, like just pour it in your mouth, you know. So I think you would find the study of the Vedas interesting because that's a whole way of life. It's a whole culture that for uh, to a large degree is still alive in India and other parts of Asia, you know, uh, they're very, very clean, you know, and a lot of Americans would feel like, well, you're just too clean. That's okay if you want to feel that way, but uh, I'd rather be too clean than not clean enough. So, um, interesting. I didn't know there was such a thing. And this is encouraging, you know, makes me want to take that class. So, uh, ultimate mystery. What is it? Anybody want to offer? Or you want to pass in the little pieces of paper? Awesome. Go. Uh, I said, what is the ultimate fulfillment of life? Bravo. The, what is the ultimate fulfillment of life? Uh, could that also mean... Why are we here? Yeah. What is the purpose of my existence? Thank you. Uh, these, this, is a, this, is a, this is one of the questions that separates the... It's another thing Brahmins do. We don't like to ever put anything on the floor. You know, no matter what it is. And I'm just happy to I'm just highly trained, you know, if it touches, it's not good. Don't put anything on the floor. Uh, this is a question that separates animal life from human life. Animals don't spend very much time wondering, is there life after death? They don't spend any time. Or why are we here? You know, why? Why, why do I exist? See, I think a lot of people 
don't go there because uh, they may not want the answer. You know, what if it turns out that it's a really dumb answer and I'm here for some really dumb purpose? But I really feel that I'm more important than just something dumb or mundane. You know, what if it's a mundane answer? So a lot of people don't want to go any further. This is psychological, isn't it? There are a lot of people who don't pursue because I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I really want to know. Uh, so, um, and that is one of, that's part of the ultimate mystery. First of all, who am I? Who am I really? Not what does my passport say? And I can prove because it's uh, it's a U.S. passport. It's got my picture, you know. I've got a driver's license with my picture, so I can prove who I am. So, but uh, that's me saying that I'm identifying with this body. And if you're a young man, I'm an old man. When I was your age, I was a young man too. So what happened to me? Did I grow old? I don't feel like it. I don't feel any older than when I was your age. And I really don't. When I'm walking down the street, and uh, you know how when you're walking down the street and you pass a store window, you get your reflection. Sometimes you look over and I see the reflection of an old man. And I'm, I'm still startled. You know, I just, wow. Because while I'm walking along, thinking and meditating on people around me and the world around me, I'm not thinking like I'm an old person. I'm just me. The, the me that I've always been. You see? So, uh, what I'm getting at is that the first thing that we need to teach people for, uh, in teaching the Vedas to them is that you are not your body. We can understand who we are by first uh, dismissing the incorrect assumption that I am this body. Because if you are your body, this doesn't mean a lot to, to you because you're young, <laughs> but if you are your body, you're in a whole lot of trouble. Because if you live, if you're healthy, and not very accident prone, and you drive safely, and you eat good food, breathe clean air, never smoke or drink or anything like that, then you might get the reward of living a long time. And what comes along with that? Old age. There's no way to win. Even if you live a long time, you're going to be old, and I'm telling you. It's no prize. It's not great to be old. Because I find myself thinking like I did when I was in my 20s. I make all these plans. And, you know, oh, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there. And then I have to get these, this bag of bones. I have to get it on an airplane and through a layover, you know, and then on another airplane and then over jet lag. And it's a lot more difficult than uh, when I was in my 20s, you see. 
but I don't feel any different. I always have this, this, this ambition that, yeah, let's go and let's do it. And I can do it. But this uh, vehicle of mine is starting to slow down a little bit. You know, sometimes I have to take some time and just nurse it. You know, get it back to run. I have to do a tune-up, you know, from time to time. <clears throat> so the first step in real spiritual understanding is that I am not this body. So if I'm not this body, then who and what the heck am I? So uh, do you all believe you have a soul? Okay. Now see, I asked that question again and again because it proves... Well, let me ask you another question after that. If you have a soul... And you're convinced of that, right? Yes, I am. All right. Then who is this you that has a soul? If you have a soul, it's like I have a cup. You see what I mean? In other words, I start to think that the soul, which I believe in, is something different from me. Why? Because I'm really convinced subconsciously at least, that I am this body. I identify with this body. You see what I mean? And I have a soul. Did you bring it with you tonight? <laughs> I hope so. Jesus, I'm going to keep it on my keychain so it goes with me. You know? <laughs> so, you are a soul. And you have a body. You're not a body that has a soul. This is the biggest understanding. Not enough of the religions in the world teach us that. We have, you know, I was taught, you know, when I went to church that I had a soul. Until somebody, some devotee, that back in 1972 when I met the devotees, they asked me, if you have a soul, then who and what are you? And I said something very profound, like, duh, I don't know. But you think about it. No, I am a soul. Now that changes things. If I am a soul and I'm not a temporary body, now I can allow myself to realize my eternality. A soul is eternal. In Bhagavad Gita, uh, let's, do you all have, you ever heard of the Bhagavad Gita? It was read every day by people like uh, Emerson, Thoreau, Einstein, Oppenheimer, Gandhi, and the list goes on. As you go through history of <clears throat> great names, you'll find somewhere in their library Bhagavad Gita. And those who read it generally read it every day. Einstein read it every day for the last 35 years of his life, a little bit, at least every day. So many of these men, uh, Thoreau, you know, it's like I, I don't go through a day without a taste of that knowledge. It's part of the Vedas. Veda means knowledge. So what does it teach? That you are an eternal living entity. Bhagavad Gita says, you the soul uh, never have a beginning. There never was a time when you did not exist. There cannot possibly be a time when you will cease to be. 
who are unborn, undying, and eternal. So if I can start to meditate on myself as being this eternal soul, then I give up the limitations of having a temporary uh, mortal body. It's not me. I'm not my car. It carries me around very nicely, but it will wear out someday and I'll have to get another one. I've done that several times, you see. <clears throat> so bodies are very much like that. When you wear it out, you just go to the next one. So um, does this make any sense? So you're eternal. If I can convince myself that I am this eternal soul, then I don't have to uh, make decisions based on the incorrect thought that I am. Or I don't have to accept these limitations of having this body, right? Because bodies uh, start out very ignorant, right? You don't know how to talk. You don't know how to walk. No matter where you're born, you don't speak the language. There's those awkward years where you have to learn everything, you know? You see, so you're born into nescience, ignorance. But you, the soul, are full of knowledge. The nature of the soul, according to the Vedas, is sat, jit, ananda. Sat means you're eternal. Jit means you are full of all knowledge. And ananda means you are always happy. Not just happy, but ecstatic. So we can tell with ourselves, we don't always feel like we have full knowledge. Since we identify with the body, uh, we feel like there is, we have a, um, what do they call that? An expiration date. Some they you know, like they have on products in the shelves used by such and such a date. So we think, since I am my body, I have that too, you see. So if I don't know, then I'm thinking I am the body. If I'm not totally blissful, I'm thinking I am the body. It's hard to keep a body blissful all the time. But if I know I'm not the body, then I can come to realize myself, self-realization, as the, an eternal entity, then I'm always blissful, no matter what's going on around me. And that's, that's true, that's true. The only time that you'll feel um, sadness, loneliness, incapable of something, uh, anything like that, is when you're identifying with your body. Because as soon as you identify with this body, you accept all the limitations that come with it, you see? So great people for many, many thousands of years since the beginning of time in this material world, great people who have achieved bigger than life things had that understanding, I'm not limited to this body. I have another potency. I am an eternal living entity, you see. 
that's why that book starts uh, keeps showing up on the bookshelf of all these greats. You see, it's the secrets of knowledge, <clears throat> basic knowledge. And so, um, am I answering your question, or am I just? Sometimes I just get off and babble Russia. <laughs> so, uh, so that's who I am. Okay, why am I? So science is very good at telling us uh, statements. Uh, they, they say they know how the universe was created and how life was created. But science never dares to go into the reason of why. If I say, yes, there is a why, there is a reason, then I'm saying that there is a supreme thinker behind this. And as a scientist, we don't go there. I only tell you what's happening in the material world. Because if, if I recognize the supreme, now I'm a theologian. And in science, we generally don't like to go there, you see. So uh, there's very little information on why. Why do you exist? We're just here. And we observe the animals, and the animals are, ba are, are, are doing ba basically four basic activities, and so are human beings. <clears throat> Everything, no matter what it is, needs to eat. Everything needs to sleep. Everything has this tendency, this driving force to mate. And everything has to have some form of defense. If you get stuff, somebody may want to take it from you. That's even true in the humans, not just the animals. You know, see animals in the wild. Sometimes I go walking in the forest or jungle or someplace and I see animals fighting over a kill. You know, uh, some of the, the animals that are the best at killing uh, only eat maybe 30% of what they kill. Because the bigger animals who are slower, they come and take it away from them. So I, they can't defend it. It's like uh, cheetahs, some of the big cats, they're really fast. Lions even, they can chase down prey and kill it. But then bigger animals or maybe a, a tribe a, like uh, like if, an, if a lion kills something, maybe a tribe of hyenas will come and they'll fight with the lion and drive it away and eat what it kills. So that's necessity of defense just to eat, you see. So eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. The difference between the human beings and the animals is the human beings have a choice. What do you eat? not just what was given you by your parents and your environment. Now that you have intelligence, what have you decided is best for you to eat? You see what I mean? So that the human beings have that ability to make choices. What do I eat? How much? When? Like that. Uh, sleeping is a little bit more sophisticated for a human being than it is an animal. We're a little more picky. We just don't want a soft pile of leaves or a nice hole in the side of the mountain. You know, we want a nice 
mattress and air conditioning, heat, blankets, you know, and mating. Mating is very complicated for human beings. It's not very complicated for the animals. And typically the animals, uh, you know, for instance, a, a dog doesn't take his perspective made out on, on a date. He doesn't buy her a couple of drinks and a movie, you know, try to get her in the mood. You know, <laughs> they don't, you know he just, he can tell from the smell that she's in the, in the season. And so he kind of just takes it. And if she doesn't want it, he's more powerful, he, he wins, you see. So sex isn't very complicated for the animals. You know, like, and I've said this before, if, if you see two dogs having sex in public, the police don't come and put them in jail. They don't write them a ticket. You know, they're not held to the same standard as human beings. Human beings, however, are held to a different standard. Why? Because you should know better. You've got a, a body that has a bigger brain and more knowledge. You can reason things out, you see. So, and defending is, is much more complicated for human beings. You know, if you're uh, in the animal kingdom, if you're smaller frame, then uh, bigger framed animals may be able to chase you away from your meal. But humans have these equalizers. They have weapons. You know, if, if you have a weapon, it doesn't matter what size you are, your body, it kind of equalizes you between numbers of people or bigger people. It changes things. So, and of course, human beings have uh, car alarms and household alarms and things like that to protect them. So eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. So, but is that all we're here for? Just to eat and sleep and mate and defend on a more complicated manner? You know, I'm not living in a hole in the mountain. I'm living in a nice house. I have air conditioning. I've got a posturepedic mattress, you see. So even though I have this, these better things, does that make my life any better? You know, I mean, the fact is, dog thinks that what he eats is pretty good. He likes it. You see, but, but dogs, from my experience, will eat just about anything. Unless you train them differently. But you see dogs in the wild. You know, it's like those uh, the wild dogs there in, in Mayapur, in West Bengal. The, they call them jackals, but we, re we call them jackals. And they're basically just wild dogs. You hardly ever see them. Although at night when the sun goes down, they start to yowl. You hear them. It sounds like there's millions of them. They come to the edge of the forest and they howl. I mean, it sounds like, God, how many of these guys are there? And then you'll hear some across the Ganges River and they're barking back. And then the whole chorus lights up. It just goes and goes for several minutes, you see. So, uh, and I bumped into them in the forest and uh, they'll eat pretty much anything. 
You know, one of their favorites is domesticated dogs. Sounds cool, but if they can never get a domestic dog to come through the forest, they'll they'll go after them like crazy. You know, so it sounds kind of it's just real life. You know, they're not taking away the the rosy colored uh, appearance. It's just real life. So, but are we? Do we exist just to eat, sleep, mate, and defend? So, do we exist just so we can live a good life and then go to a better place? Well, this is kind of human, human thinking. Is there life after death? If there is, what's that like? Does that really matter? All I know is it's really good. A lot of people will say that. You know, a lot of people, most people I talk to really can't give me a distinctive dis, uh, uh, explanation of what is your good place like. And I know people of practically every religion you can think of all over the world. And all of them have a, a good place. Most of them have a good place and a bad place. But they really can't describe in detail what is the good place like. In other words, what do you get? What will your life be like once you get awarded the good place? What are you going to do for eternity? <laughs> eternity is a long time. I mean, if I'm just there and there's no cable TV, I don't have my iPad, there's no Wi-Fi. <clears throat> You know, all I know is I'm not in this world anymore. I don't have to worry about dying again because I'm eternal now. You see what I mean? Isn't there, isn't there some knowledge of what will it be like? I mean, I'd like to know because I mean, do I really want to go there? <laughs> you got to give me a travel brochure or something to help me with this. Uh, intelligent people never go anywhere unless they get a really good description. All right, what's it going to be like? You know, do you have any pictures? Let me talk to somebody who's been there. You know, so, uh, but is that why we exist? Just so that we can make it through this life as, as good as possible and then uh, um, do whatever we have to do to get the good place without really knowing so much what it is we get. That's not real encouraging, is it? To a lot of people, it just means I'm not gonna go to the bad place. And the bad place is so bad that no matter what the good place is like, it's better than the bad place. Am I right? You know, I don't really know much about the good place, but I, from what I've heard about the bad place, it really sucks, you know? And once you get there, you can't get out of it. So that's worth it to do whatever it is I have to do not to go there. And I'll deal with whatever the heck it is in the good place once I get there. I'll figure it out because it's got to be better than the, the bad. Does this make any sense? You see, without full knowledge, then... 
Uh, that's pretty much the way our minds act. Is that me or you? That's my wife. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, do you meet his wife? She's, uh, she's a delightful person. So, uh, so why? Why do we exist? What's, what's the real purpose? Just to make it to the good place and we don't know much about it? So let's back up a little bit. I am uh, an eternal living entity. And I'm eternal because I am a part and parcel of the supreme living entity. I'm part and parcel. The, the supreme living entity, God, a lot of people don't like that word, but let's use it. God um, is the source of everything, that from which everything cometh. Well, that would include me. So I am part and parcel of this supreme eternal entity who also has no beginning and no end. And because I am very much like him, I, I too have no beginning and no end. Okay. So what is my relationship with this supreme source of all sources? Uh, my relationship with him is one of love. That's all he wants from me. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to be a big accomplisher. You don't have, you don't have to when you reduce dealing with your fellow living entities to a loving basis, you don't require very much from them, do you? Well, I want to see your credentials. I want to see your SAT score. I want to see your diploma. I want to see your bank account. When it really gets down to pure love, None of that matters. It's just me relating with you. And there's something about you that I find lovable. And I don't have to have a reason. I don't have, it doesn't have to um, be um, interpreted. All I know is I feel it in my heart. In the purest level, love doesn't even require you to love me back. Now we're getting on the material. I'll love you, but you've got to love me too. At least as much as I love you. I'm expecting a return here. So that's approaching love, but then there's still that barrier of I expect you to carry your weight. And it's, that's like me saying, I will love you if you give me some gratification. Loving me back, making me feel important or making me feel worthwhile, you see? Because I'm still convinced that I am this body, I think I have uh, defects and I need you. I want, I'm making it your responsibility to overcome my defects. Isn't that true in psychology? They teach you that, don't they? A lot of people in relationships, I expect you to uh, make me feel better 
about the things about me that I don't feel so good about. But that's really placing a big load on a relationship. You see, I'm broken and need you to fix me. So it's kind of more about me than it is about you and how I feel about it. So pure love means you are so lovable that I just love you. And I'm not asking you to love me back. I find you lovable. And I love you. You see? Now that's love on the on the soul platform. That's the way souls uh, share love. It's the way we share love with the Supreme Soul. My dear Lord, you are the most attractive. You're the, uh, the, you're the very source of love. Uh, everything about you is wonderful. I find you extremely, uh, supremely attractive. And I want to do something for you to show my love for you. This is what we call bhakti. I love you. I want to serve you somehow. Now, that is very nice, but God is the supreme source of everything. And since he's the source of everything, that means he has everything. If everything comes from God, God has everything. So God, being the source of love, doesn't really need your love. He's complete. However, you loving him gives him reciprocation. You enhance his ecstasy by sharing love with him. That is why we exist. We enhance the ecstasy of the source of ecstasy by having a reciprocal loving relationship. Not a one-sided thing. It's not like God is, hey, I'm God and you're not. So keep the love coming. Keep the service coming or else. Now you're not going to be able to love an entity like that very long, right? But the supreme source of love loves you without reason. He always has for eternity, always will for eternity. You're his beautiful, loving part and parcel. Even though you've decided to go away from him, to come to this material world, to see what it's like to be away from him. Or maybe some people actually want to become God. A lot of people think they are God. Or they think that there's some practice that I can go through where I can merge with God. I can somehow or other become. Now that's not very loving, is it? Let's see, that's kind of impersonal. Uh, to share love, we have to be personal. And for me to love you, I've got to know a little bit about you. You know, there are things about you that are lovable. As I get to see you as a soul, I see the more that I get to see you as a soul, the more I see what those things are that are lovable. And if you get, if you do this for a long, long time, I've been doing this for many decades, but it doesn't take that long. But in a short time, you get to deal with your fellow living entities, not just the human beings, but all living entities on a soul to soul basis. 
which means I can, I'm, I can see that you may have defects in this embodied situation that you are in right now because you're convinced you're a body. You're convinced that because you're white and I'm black, you're better or I'm worse or, or because you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican that you're smarter and you're better or because you're an American and I'm a Chinese that you're this or that. Because we identify with our bodies, we have all of these problems. So one who is self-realized deals with someone who has these challenges they believe they are their body. They believe they are their heritage, you know. They believe it and they're convinced that you can see through that and love the soul. Does that make any sense? Because that is your nature as a soul. That's what soul will do. Now, if I'm convinced that I'm my body and you're convinced that you're your body, as soon as it gets to politics, we're going to be arguing. Right now in America, America's split 50-50. I mean, it's a, I've never seen it like this. You know, when you go, uh, you go to other countries, uh, a lot of them really look at America and they think, they say to me, you know, Swami, uh, as far as America, what's going on? <laughs> you know, got this country that pretty much everybody in the world wants to come to. And they wonder, why do they always fight? Why aren't they happy? Why most people in the world would give anything to come here. You know, they'd give anything to be in, in our shoes. And they just, they're <laughs> amazed. That, why is there all this so much struggle? over what they see as nothing. It's just arguing this and that. Like they see us as children, very, very rich children, spoiled rich kids, you know? So uh, why? Because I identify with me and mine and my beliefs and, you know, so much so that I'm going to fight you. You know, why if your team wins the Super Bowl, I'll burn your car down. <laughs> and if, if my candidate doesn't win, I'll break out store windows. The rest of the world cannot believe that this happens in America. And yet here we are, you know. So why? Because of our identification, something that we're not. And if I'm identifying with me as being something that I'm not and you as something that you're not, then we're going to have conflict. As soon as I start noticing the, the color of your skin or perhaps what you stand for or who you voted for, you see what I mean? It's had nothing to do. None of this has anything to do with spiritual life. Now, I'm not saying the rest of the world doesn't have problems. Trust me, they don't have anything like we have here. We really don't. <laughs> so uh, does that answer your question? We exist to give pleasure to the source of pleasure. And that gives us ultimate pleasure. And that's an eternal thing that belongs to us. But we don't have it because we 
decided to go. We have free will. We decided to go someplace and check it out with our earth. Now, why didn't that make God real angry when you when you left? He didn't. We don't get thrown out of heaven or whatever you want to call it. We don't get thrown out. We're not prisoners. Love means you can go if you like. I'm not going to keep you. If you if you if you feel like uh, you want to go explore something else other than me, then you have free will. I'll give you free will. If you don't have free will, then you're a prisoner. So and you can't be afraid to leave. Then you'd be a prisoner. That's that would weaken this loving relationship that the Supreme has with you. You're free to go. So why does God, we call him Krishna. Krishna uh, is one of God. God has unlimited everything. He has unlimited names. He has unlimited personalities. But this name Krishna, it's a Sanskrit. It means all attractive, all beautiful one, most attractive, most loving. So why does he not get mad when you leave? It's because he knows who he is and he knows he's the most attractive. Most attractive means no matter how hard you look, you're not going to find anything like me. I'm, I'm, I'm Krishna. I'm the supreme. I'm the most beautiful. I'm the source of love. And if you're going to go looking for love away from the source, you're going to come up empty-handed. So you'll be back. You'll return. So you can come and stay in this material world, birth after birth, identity after identity, trying to be all you can be and prove to the world that you are something that you imagine you are, you see. But ultimately we're gonna get a little tired of that and we start to ask these magic questions. Is there a God? Is there life after death? Is there something more than just Eating, sleeping, mating and defending, making money. You know, is there something more to life than this? <clears throat> After World War II, there was a whole, um, the artists, the people who wrote plays and movies and the, the people who directed them. And uh, there was a whole thing. You can see if you watch some of the early Twilight Zone. Anybody want, are you familiar with the old Twilight Zone? Notice the themes of some of those movies after World War II and early Twilight Zone was, everyone was kind of bored with life. Very questioning, what's it about? You know, they made monumental movies. You heard of Richard Burton? Yeah, he was married to Elizabeth Taylor. And he, co-wrote and co-directed this movie, this uh, movie called Boom, B-O-O-M. And they go through this movie of people suffering, you know, wealthy, but drink too much, party too much, indulge too much. And so towards the end, Richard Burton was saying, he's looking out at the ocean from his palatial digs and he says, Boom. And somebody, whoever he was with, says, what do you mean? 
And he said, that's the sound that life makes every minute that you realize you're still alive. You know, so that he was part of the elite rich, but why am, what's, why am I here? Why am I, if I have more money, how come I'm not enjoying it a higher level? If I have more, more lovers, how come I'm not enjoying more? If I have more fame, how come I'm not enjoying more? You see, so there was a whole thing that was going on at that time. People wondering, what's it all about? So we say the answer to that question is it's all about finding yourself. What is it that this supreme source of beauty and love what is it that he sees in you that he finds so enchanting? That he finds so beautiful? Now that's, that's the real question for us to pursue. Not that what does God look like, but when he, out of his eyes, what do I look like? You know, he wouldn't make you imperfect. In the Sri Upanishad, um, it says that God is the complete whole. And even though so many emanations come from him, he still remains the complete whole. And everything that emanates from him is also complete and perfect. So that includes you, the living entities. You're complete and you're perfect. But your consciousness is clouded by uh, you thinking that you're... Uh, a mortal entity. So if you can uh, transcend that consciousness, then you open up a whole world of happiness, bliss, love, confidence. Things go away, like fear, uncertainty. I mean, you'll still understand the meaning of fear, but after a while, you're going to forget what it tastes like or loneliness, uncertainty. You still know the definition. But after so long of not experiencing it, you don't really remember what does it feel like to feel unloved or insecure or defective in any way. You see, you don't, you don't remember. It's like it's been 46 years, 47 years since I've had any, uh, any meat any uh, flesh. And I remember all about it, but I don't remember what the heck it tastes like. I wouldn't know if somebody slipped it into my food, I wouldn't know it. I don't know, I don't remember what it tastes like. It's been so long, but I know what it is, you see. So fear is like that. Feeling unloved, you can, you can, you'll remember what it is. You don't know what it feels like, you say, after some time. So I think I'm uh, wasting time. I'm just getting over being sick, so that's my excuse. For... <laughs> is, it, is it working? Yeah, it's working. All right, I'm going to go through some of the questions. And uh, I'm going to try to get to this verse. But I might not. If not, we'll say it from there. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And when do we 
And where do we go after this? Uh, let me reverse that. Where do we go after this? You go where, wherever you want to go. You're free. What's the question? Where do we come from? We don't come from anywhere. We always have existed. We don't have any source. We're part and parcel of God. He's existed forever, and so have you. So in the material world, that kind of doesn't make sense because the way we think, the laws of this material world, everything has a beginning and everything has an end. But in the spiritual world, no, there is no beginning and there is no end to eternity. Eternity doesn't begin and then last forever. You as a soul don't begin and then last forever. Eternity means both ways. So uh, where did you come from? You always have been. You didn't come from anywhere. Um, why are we here? You're here to, on this planet, you're here to chase your desires. This material world is a place where you come to try to chase all, all of your desires. And these things that they tell you in the, what do we call, what is it? field that Tony Robbins is part of, uh, self-help, personal development. personal development. Basically, what they tell you is true. You can be anything you want to be. Now, you may not make it in this life. It may be next life before you get it. But more than likely, you'll get it. You'll get whatever you desire. That's the purpose of this world, for you to exhaust your material desires. Because you're never going to get the real bang that you think it's gonna give you. I know a lot of very, very, very wealthy people, billionaires, and they'll all tell you, it ain't what you think. One of my dear friends is a great-grandson of Henry Ford, Albert Ford. He's the heir to the Ford throne, and he's been a billionaire all of his life. And he says, let me tell you, it's, there's nothing great about it. I mean, what if you have a billion dollars? If you don't have it, you think it's fantastic. But what if you do? What do you do? Get it out and fill a room full of it, roll around in it. And even if you did, what's that going to do for you? So you know you have it, but there's no real definition of what it really is. It's basically looking in a computer and seeing some numbers. And that's supposed to give me enjoyment. You don't have to be a billionaire to be able to afford everything you want. You don't even have to be a millionaire to be able to afford everything you want. You see? And you don't have to be a genius to, to figure out that all of this stuff isn't going to give me the real bang that I'm looking for. The real exchange is love. It's what we want. We all want love and not just temporary or conditional love. You know? And the insecurity is if somebody loves me, well, do they love that guy more? Look how handsome and tall he is. You know, does my mate love him more? Or gee whiz, he's a top talented artist. Wow, I mean, gosh, 
start looking around and everybody's got a little something more and there's a little, at least subconscious, a little insecurity. You see what I mean? So we need love on a little bit higher level than that. You see, if I can see the soul, which is incredibly beautiful, incredibly attractive, then nothing else really matters, you see. Even some uh, imperfections that may appear through your consciousness. You may be conscious that you're a body, and that's an imperfection. And you may try hard to impress, that's an imperfection, but I see you. You see what I mean? So, where do we go after this? You can go wherever you want. As a matter of fact, what you're wanting is uh, <clears throat> what you desire causes you to perform activities. Activities have a reaction, action and reaction. The science says for every action, there's an equivalent opposite reaction. Sir Isaac Newton. The Bible says, uh, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. This is all karma. Karma means uh, what goes around comes around. As you do it, you're going to get it. So your desires will cause you to do perform activities. Activities have reactions. So you desire, you do, you receive. So it's a, it's a circle that you can travel in as long as you want trying to chase a better and better material situation. When we decide that we want God, we start to pursue God. And when we start to pursue God, he paves the way. And that opens up a whole can of worms is what is God and how do we pursue him and how do we know when we find him? And there's a whole world of perceptions of what God is and how we relate to him and what does he want from us and so many things. Uh, we, the bhakti yogis, uh, we simply want our eternal loving relationship with Krishna back. I, I want my loving relationship with the source of love. That's all we want. Uh, that will give you, that fulfills all desires. You know, material desires start to uh, dissolve. When you get total uh, satisfaction, your material desires dissolve and you don't have any unfulfilled desires. You, you get to the point where you're completely fulfilled. Now, uh, completely fulfilled means I don't want nor need anything. Anything. You see, I'll take whatever I get, but I'll use it in Krishna's service. Whatever I get, I'm, I'm going to use to show him how much I love it. Does that make any sense? So we don't have any need for anything. <clears throat> uh, what is the purpose? Oh, we covered that. The purpose of life. What is the purpose? What? Uh, 
of what is the purpose of my life, the purpose uh, of your individual life is basically to figure out who you are and what you want, other than I want to be a cowboy, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a soldier. When I was a kid, we used to think like that. I don't know if kids still do that. At one point, I wanted to be a a soldier. You know, I had uncles that went away to World War II, and they were they had medals and stuff. So I wanted to be like them. And then along come Vietnam, (laughs) and I didn't want to be a soldier anymore. I didn't want to go to Vietnam. So, you know, I thought I'd rather be a cowboy or anything than a soldier. I had had my chance to be a soldier. And so, um, now find out what it is that you want. And I can tell you what it is you want. You want ultimate eternal love. Unconditional love. You want to be loved by the source of love himself. And you want to share that love with every living entity around you that you come in contact with on, a, on an eternal basis. You want to be in a situation where you don't have anything else that you have to worry about except enjoying sharing love with God and all the living entities. And some people would call that heaven. You can call it whatever you want. That's what basically what the living entity, the soul, wants. Don't have to worry about having a job. Don't have to worry about looking for a mate. Don't have to worry about where to sleep. Don't have to worry about defending what I get. I'm just wrapped up in reciprocal love. Uh, that, the last one here is what is reality? That is reality. That is reality. Now, we can't act on that uh, as long as we're too preoccupied with uh, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. For my, uh, for the purposes of me mating properly, that's going to take resources. So I need an education to get a good job. I need a good job to get some good. Uh, shelter, good house, maybe a nice car to afford vacations. You see, to get a proper cloth, proper clothing. You see, I'm, for me to get that, which we interpret as being love, and love should be in, in, involved in it, but we haven't really learned how to love on a pure basis yet. So I feel like I need so many things for me to mate. This, the, the desire to mate drives everybody. And if you have enough money, it should last forever, right? Tell that to, what's his name? Peter Bezos? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Richest guy in the world. <clears throat> He's the richest man in the world. And he's going through the most expensive divorce in the history of this planet. So it didn't work out for good old Jeff, did it? 
I mean, this guy's known all over the world. I mean, you could be in West Bengal someplace and show his picture to somebody. You know, oh, there's the rich guy. You know. So, but it, it really didn't work for him. And he's married or was married to one of the most unhappy ladies in the world. She's also the third richest lady in the world. He, ha he goes through the most expensive divorce in the history of the planet, and he's still the richest guy on the planet. And he's, I'm sure, I'm going to go out on, on a limb right now and speculate that he's probably not that happy. You know, I'd say he's driven every kind of yacht, every kind of motorcycle. He's flown, he probably has his own private planes, and he has... And he has, and he has, and he has. And he's just not the happiest guy. Uh, the ultimate mystery, why are we here? See, it keeps coming up. Everybody needs to, we need to know this. This is in our hearts. We need this information. Because it's, it's easy to see that if I accomplish materially, that's obviously not why I'm here, just to accomplish materially. I mean, we all know this. You see? Uh, who are we? Yeah, see? These are all common questions. Who are we? We are not who we are trying to portray to the world. Back in the late 60s, I was trying to portray to the world that I was one of the coolest hippies in the world. And I went to Great Lakes, growing my hair, you know, wearing a certain kind of clothing, associating with really hip people, you know, listening to a certain kind of music. And that's who I identified with. I thought that was me. And that fizzled. And then I met the devotees of Krishna and I became a devotee of Krishna. But typically people go through life. I see myself as an adolescence. I go through puberty and then I'm, I become a student. And then I become, I get out into professional life. And then I become a husband or wife, father or mother. And I progress like that. Then I get into a midlife crisis. <laughs> then I have to worry about uh, retirement. And then I have to deal with old age. And we all know what comes after that. Let's see. Do I talk too macabre? Is this, you know, should I spend more time talking about Krishna and loving exchange. You know, reality really isn't that attractive, is it? But I mean, we we pull the wool over our eyes and we, we don't face these things. It's easier when you get older. I'll tell you that right now. One advantage to old age is that you start to see that uh, you have history to look back on within yourself. And you start to see that there, there is no future for this body. 
when I was real young, I thought like, sure, I'm gonna die like everybody else, but man, that's not gonna be for 70 years or 50, 60 years. That's like a whole lifetime away. I didn't have to think about that. Then you get to a certain point and you realize, whoa, <laughs> it's not that far down the hall, you know? But it's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not, I'm not the slightest bit concerned about whatever my destiny is. All I know is I know it'll be good. It'll be wherever Krishna wants me to go. Will it be heaven? I don't know. If that's where he wants me to go, does he want me to come back here and continue what I'm doing right now? If he does, I'm good with that. I don't feel, I don't feel slighted either. By, the, by all means, get a plate and, and I'll, I'll talk on you, okay? Uh, the ultimate mystery. What is my eternal personal relationship with Krishna? Huh. What will that look like exactly and how will it manifest? Yeah, what is? If I have an eternal relationship with the Supreme, how is that going to manifest? Is that enough of an answer for you? You have an eternal loving relationship with, with the Supreme. That makes me feel really good. But now after I get a hold of that and get my arms around it, I'm thinking, okay, so how does that manifest? What are we gonna do? You see, am I gonna be like in the, if I'm, like there's this big crowd around this beautiful God, and I'm somewhere way in the back? Is it going to be like that? Is there, is there a hierarchy that I have to maybe work my way up through to get close to this guy? So these are material conceptions. He is unlimited, and all of us have a personal, touchy-feely relationship with him. And we've always had it. It belongs to us. We have a particular, each and every living entity, and there are innumerable living entities, has a particular relationship with the Supreme that he feels can't live without. So each one of us is very similar, but we're also uh, very different, very unique. that make any sense? We're completely unique, although our eternal DNA is the same. Is one plate enough? Maybe you need a plate underneath it. Oh, no. no it's okay. okay. You know, Kovina Madhav, one thing we ought to think about maybe is these some little tables. Yeah. We can, yeah, that would help, wouldn't it? That would help. Yeah, how will it manifest? That depends on you and what your eternal rasa, your eternal relationship is with the Supreme. And you'll find that out. Not before you, uh, not after you die. You should learn this before you die. You don't have to wait till you die to find out is there God? Or what does he look like? What does he want from me? What is my relationship with him? 
I mean, that's that's a lot to ask. You know, trust me, there is a God, and He's really great. And when you die, you'll find out that what I'm saying is true. Why? Well, I don't know if I can go along with that. You know, that's not enough. I feel much better if you could show me something now. So, by practice of bhakti yoga, you will have this realization, little by little. But you get this realization of what your relationship is with God. You don't have to wait till you die. He's not, he's not hiding from you. It, you know, many years ago, it seemed like he was so hard to achieve. But then you start to realize. The thing of it is, when you start to pursue God, seriously pursue God, you'll know you're making some spiritual advancement when you come to the realization that you're not the hunter. You're the hunted. He's always been pursuing you. Since you left, he, he's wanted this relationship back. And he's not going to take away your free will or force you. Well, he'll do whatever he can to enhance this regaining of your lost memory. You see? It, if that's what you want, you take one step towards him, he takes ten towards you. you see? So he's been in pursuit of reviving this lost relationship since you lost it. Does that make any sense? So, all right, I've come to the end of the questions. Unless there are any more. Anybody have any more? What do you think, Chaitanya Lila? Huh? What do you think? I think it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I will in a minute. I get pleasure seeing you guys eat. <laughs> is this Chana Masal? Yes, it is. It looks like it. Wow. Oh. Wow. Anything here is good too. It's, it's all that's millet. Ah, so millet. It's, it's all ancient grains. Fantastic. It's all good. All right, you going to sign this off? Yeah, I was thinking that. See you guys. Thank you very much for coming. One more question.